Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. from California and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 25th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 8, the first paragraph starting with No Words Can Tell. Today's readers are Amy G., Lynn S., and Devorah S. The reference number for Tuesday, November 24th is 8220. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 steps. Morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire, a recovered, not cured, compulsive overeater. Twelve steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. <clears throat> Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for, his knowledge, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Julie, and I pass. Thank you, Diane G. I will now ask Nadia B. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., a grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Connecticut. The 12 Traditions of Eaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for lay membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or away as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought to never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAS as such ought to never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much for that all time. Thank you, Nadia. The how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We re- read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study on page 8 with the first paragraph starting with no words can tell. I will ask Amy G. to begin reading. Good morning, Judy. My name is Amy. Good morning, Amy. Great. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thank you so much for your service this morning from California. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Boy, can you hear the disease putting the screws 
in, putting the nails in the coffin, I can certainly identify, particularly the words of loneliness and despair. My compulsive overeating was not done with a party of people in a room. My loneliness was, my compulsive overeating was a disease of absolute isolation and loneliness. My my life at my bottom was in dark parking lots, in dark cars, in dark movie theaters, alone in a room. I was absolutely bereft and, and unable to stop putting food into my mouth. And, you know, I like looking up words in the dictionary, and it says alcohol was my master. And here it's used as a noun, but if you look it up as well as a verb, it's the words overcome. Conquered, beat, subjugate, overpower, defeat, control. Food had totally controlled me, had overpowered me, had mastered me, and my loneliness and despair. I used to look at mirrors and I would punch them. And I would crack knuckles in my hands, punching bed frames and walls. I was so frustrated, I hated myself. This disease destroyed me. But it was at this bottom that I was willing then to come into my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, as crazy as you all sound, and the whole issue with the higher power and everything, I was willing to listen. It talks about it on step one in the AA 12 and 12, the last paragraph. The lash of alcoholism, we are driven to AA, or for us, OA, and there we discover the fatal nature of our situation. Then and only then do we become as open-minded and con- to, open-minded to conviction and willing to listen as the dying can be. We stand ready to do any to do anything which will lift this merciless obsession from us. And notice that it says obsession, because for me it was what kept bringing me back, regardless of what I knew after being in OA for five years, knowing that I was a compulsive overeater, admitting I was a compulsive overeater, and yet sit, sitting there five bites into a binge going, how the hell did I get here? I was beaten into a state of surrender and willingness to work this program because the disease had mastered me. The compulsive overeating, the food, my binge foods had mastered me, and I was then willing to surrender, to choose to surrender to this program and work it like my life depended upon it. You know, they talk about the three Ds of disease. First off, while while we are in it, denial, delusion, and defiance. And then when we come to our willingness, it's, Desperate, dying of doomed. Other people call it the gift of desperation, but that is what I had. That is what I hear in this paragraph. It is the dark before the dawn, but I had to be in the darkness, in that isolation, at the bottom of my compulsive overeating to be willing to take these steps, beaten into a state of surrender and willingness. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. And would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Mary A. Okay, I have Mary D, I think, and then Carol G, and then Larry K, Suzanne K, Suzanne K, Katie F, Stacey T, Kim G, Kim G, okay, we're going to go with that, Mary D, it's Mary A as in Adams. Ah, Mary A. Go ahead. Thank That's you. That's cute. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. It's Mary from New Jersey, and I'm abstinent and grateful. And God and abstinence really are the most precious gifts I've been given. And and what a reading about this quicksand. 
And first, I want to say thank you to a person who, um, when saying their self this morning, said, I am recovered, but not cured. I went, wow, that's how I'll be able to say it, because, you know, in all my other fellowships, never. It's only through you guys have I learned that I am recovered, but I am not cured. But to just hear it like that, oh, it's going to make volumes for me sharing. Uh, with others. Um, The quicksand, I immediately just thought of my own life uh, when I met the man of my dreams and I put up um, and I spiraled into the deepest quicksand. And the quicksand was just about to put my life out when I set up those 10 glasses of water. I laid out 150 pills. The doctor says, it's no way you could be alive today. You took enough to kill nine people. But you know, um, I was to live, but the quicksand, um, when I really believe all of this happened was, even though I've had three or four nervous breakdowns, it's when I was 106 pounds, just given birth, my mom dies, and then I go towards a neighbor's house when two huge German shepherds, both about 100 pounds, started eating me and just like a rag doll throwing me around. And it was after that, and I just realized it after one of the meetings, I never knew my bulimia, but it was after that that I needed volumes and volumes of food, and I just kept spitting it out. It's a different form of bulimia, but it's bulimia. And But today, thanks, you know, for this, because of this wonderful meeting and all the other meetings I attend, untreated compulsive overeating, because of these steps, today I am recovered And I am just so grateful for that. And people go, well, what does that mean? And for me, it means I can be around food. I can smell food. I can go into restaurants. But the biggest thing is the the insanity, the quicksand. You know, two years ago, I forgot. I just got away from program, thought it was normal. How ridiculous. And I just spiraled and spiraled into that quicksand. And my disease, my Um, diabetes was now in my liver, but I had no power until I remembered Bill's story and I just prayed for that power. And all I could do was crawl back here and my other fellowships and listen and listen. And then miraculous, the miracle came that I was going to have my first day one. And I have for two years. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And I'll go ahead and list the people in order. Carol G, Larry K, Susan K, Melissa C, Katie F, and Kim G. So, Carol G, you're up. Thank you, Julie. Good morning, everybody. Morning vision for you. It's Carol G in God's grace today. And all I heard was no words. Um, (laughs) We've all had our own near-death experiences, and um, I've had my own as well. And you know when you're just done with something and you can't find the words to describe it anymore? You're so exhausted and limp. I had to get to that place where I felt the quicksand was sucking me under and I welcomed it. That is how I felt at my last surrender with the food. I'd stopped millions of times, but why was this time going to be any different? And to be honest, I couldn't predict whether it would be. I just stopped fighting, I think. It was like an inner surrender. In one of my moments where I was on death's door, for real, it was a kind of calm place. No panic, just acceptance. I'm about to leave the planet and I had no words to describe it. And it was like, I just can't go on any further. And then when I turned to my sponsor and said, 
what do I do next? A whole new world opened up inside me. Not outside of me, inside of me. This morning, actually, this morning, I took a bedevilment inventory on myself because I've been prey to misery and depression recently. And I can tell you now with heartfelt gratitude that the mental obsession is still not there. The allergy of the body is not there. But I had some really deep spiritual malady this week. And the miracle is... Using food never entered my mind, but I was completely swamped by that bitter morass of self-pity. When I work the 12 steps each day, my self-centeredness dies a little bit more. And unlike my real dying experience, the death of my ego is agonizing and intense. <laughs> and it brings with it this overwhelming, intense emotion energy in motion if you like energy in motion and it kind of rises up in me and chokes me and I can't think straight and this month I wasn't swamped by food I was swamped by emotion and I know if it gets too strong it will black me out my mind will twist so I dug deeper into the work and for me the relief is always in the work and I'm coming out of the shadow of now of the disease and I do life step by step line by line word by word and breath by breath because just like in these paragraphs we can't avoid the hard times I can't and Bill is now on hard times I mean I usually feel worse before I feel better and when I feel better that will also pass but what I like in this paragraph is Bill's description of this place this place called bitter morass and self-pity it was a place that I had to be in I had to pass through there was no shortcut around it I had to go right through it but the directions were like stepping stones. They kind of built me a bridge across the swamp. And thank you. Thank you, everybody, for being part of that bridge. I need all of you. Thank you so much. And I pass. Thank you, Carol G. And Larry Kay, you're next. Thanks so much for your service. Um, Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. So, Bill, he's, uh, he's on the brink of surrender here. Uh, to interestingly, to the very enemy he's been fighting his whole his whole adult life, you know, like, like where's the honor in that? <laughs> you know, I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to keep fighting until the bitter end? You know, didn't didn't we learn as children not to quit? You know, try try again. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. And then, you know, I think of like people in history, like, like uh, Winston Churchill, what do you say? You know, never, never, never give up. So here's Bill, you know, quicksand stretched around him in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed by alcohol, or I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Yet, see, the thing is, he's going to be, he's going to get all lit up again. He's no quitter. But he is powerless, which is step one. You know, we can fast forward to today. You know, here we are, November 25th, I think, 2015. It's the day before Thanksgiving. And every single person on this line does not intend to binge tomorrow. And how can I be sure of that? Well, surely, you know, you wouldn't be wasting your time listening this morning uh, if that weren't true. Yet quicksand stretches, you know, all around us and... You know, you're finished binging forever, just like Bill was. Yet with compassion and love and, and maybe a little bit of sadness, I'm going I'm to tell you something. You may be all lit up tomorrow. And why is that? It's not because you're a liar and you're not a bad person. And it's not because you're being punished for some transgression. 
You know, I, I was the author of great misery in my life and in the lives of those around me. I mean, I, I was a best-selling author of that misery. And but by the grace of God, I've been restored uh, to sanity today. No, no, the, the reason you may be all lit up tomorrow is really quite simple. Because, you know, the big book tells us our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And, um, you know, so you don't have to, you know, we've heard say, I've heard it said in meetings, you don't have to take the dump truck all the way to the dump. You know, you can get off. You can get off any time. But the thing is, is it's kind of scary for me to jump off that dump truck because I, I know what, what the pumpkin pile give me. But to jump off the dump truck, I don't know. You know, but despite um, your fears of the unknown, I, I might suggest you, you know, you get off. You can get off any time, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be horribly uncomfortable to get off that dump truck. But that's what we need to do. We have to be willing. Step one. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. And Susan Kay, you're next. Hi, good morning. My name is Suzanne Kay from Passaic County in New Jersey, and thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. I am, no, I am not recovered for today. However, I am a member of this fellowship because I do have a desire uh, to stop eating compulsively, and I am working you know, on a daily basis to try to make that happen listening to you all and thank you for all your ah, just your words of wisdom and you know reading this reminds me of um how I could feel uh even today on a day-to-day basis there are times I can feel that loneliness and despair and I have a choice of taking step one and realizing I'm powerless or take my own will back um and there are days that I do take my will back, um, and then I feel the need to reach out. Um, and it's after eating something, and so I'm I need to work this process a day at a time with the sponsor and with all of you. But I remember one of the deepest, darkest points for me in this program was. After walking around a supermarket and binging, I remember going to my car and crying. I can't do this to myself anymore. God, please help me. Please help me. And that brought me to the rooms. And I said at that point I was willing to do everything and anything you guys told me. So, you know, this program is just an amazing program. And and I'm willing today to listen and to learn and to keep coming back because I know this process works and it could work for all of us. So thank you for letting me share with that. I'll pass. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay. Melissa C., you're next. Hi. Good morning. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, as though it's very painful to listen to this part of um, Bill's story, um, you know, uncomfortable and painful, and um, 
And that's precisely how it felt, you know, painful and incredibly uncomfortable. And it's so important that, um, you know, that I read these words because being in a recovered state, you know, living where you don't feel like food is your master, um, sometimes I get a, a, a small passing thought. Am I making too much of this problem? <laughs> is this, was it really that bad? Um, you know, because my disease is thinking, you know, I can suffer from a kind of food senility where I don't think it's that bad. And it's, you know, it's sort of funny that that was a quick passing thought this morning, you know, the day before Thanksgiving. Wouldn't that be convenient if I suddenly thought that I didn't have this problem? Um, rest assured, I know that it is this bad. It was this bad. It could be that bad again for me. And, um, you know, and the loneliness, um, there is nothing that could match that that loneliness um, in my life. And, you know, with food as my master, um, yeah, I was incredibly lonely because food demanded everything, every piece of me. And, um, and so I could be in a room full of people and feel completely disconnected, isolated, and alone, and that gave me all the more reason to keep, you know, because nobody was making me happy anyway, um, you know, and so the, the, my higher power has been the complete opposite of loneliness. It's been connectedness. Um, it's, it's living with uh, the real master, which is my higher power. And, you know, this part, although it's so ugly, it's so beautiful because this is, we're ripe for the transformation. And, you know, I think about the people that I've worked with, um, sponsors that, you know, there's nothing more incredible as when you get a fall in complete desperation um, because you know that they're ripe for transformation. And um, thank you. It's just a beautiful day, and I'm so grateful to be here with you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Katie F. Good morning. This is Katie Alpha, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Virginia. And this uh, paragraph, I, I think of, um, you know, when I first came to OA and I would hear people talk about, uh, there was this one woman in particular, and this is about what, 81, who would give this whole list of how she ate, all the food she ate. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm not that bad. And, you know, then you fast forward to 1986 when I picked the food back up um, in such a way that I never thought would be possible, and that's exactly what my life was like. It was exactly like I had been told it could get, and I did not believe it. I did not believe that I would get that bad. And thank God I have that memory so clear in my head today. It was around um, Halloween that I picked up the food, and it was around Thanksgiving and all around that time that I was begging God to please relieve this merciless obsession, and I could not stop. And that went on for another 11 months until I became willing to follow directions. So as Larry uh, said earlier, you know, if you're out there on the line today and you 
think, well, what the heck, it's the day before Thanksgiving, I've been binging all week or all month or all decade, you know, I might as well just keep going, you know, through the weekend, um, I'll start Friday, Monday. I'm here to tell you that you can stop. You can stop today because it's never going to get any better than um, than what you can picture in your own mind. It, it will never get better. It will only get worse. And this self-pity is consuming. That's what it did to me. I just thought that there was no hope and there was no way that I could stop because I had been in OA for, by that time, almost six years, and, you know, I thought I knew it all. What, what could change? How, could, how can this work? And I had to get I out of the way. And that self-pity had to go away to where I was willing to listen to what other people said and do whatever they told me to do, whatever they told me to do. And, um, you know, putting the food down is but the beginning, but it does have to be put down. And um, I'm just so grateful today to be able to look people in the eye, to walk as a free person through the grocery store and not be pulled in by, you know, this now, you know, we're facing a long uh, season ahead of us where there's just food everywhere in this country. And I am just so grateful to not be um, living in that world of self-pity. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie S. And Kim G., you're next. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Alcohol was my master. You know, what I find so powerful from my own experience is I had to recognize that alcohol or food was my master, whether I was abstinent or in the food. You know, if it really alcohol was Bill's master only when he was drunk, we've seen in these eight pages, there are times that he got sober. And if alcohol was really his problem, then, that, then he should have been fine during those times. And we heard about the insidious mental obsession that was going on. You know, when I think about my memories through uh, my life, you know, I, my 30th high school reunion was recently, and I didn't go, but there was a Facebook page with all the memories and I had to sit there going, did I even go to high school with these kids? I can tell you exactly what size I was every single year. I went to Catholic school. I can tell you how I had to take out my uniform every single year as I gained weight. But I can't tell you who taught me algebra. I can't tell you who was the homecoming queen. My memories from high school are purely about self-absorption and how, what my weight was. When I go to college, I mean, most people's memories are about the people and the parties. I remember the vending machines and the cafeteria because that's where I lived. And there were times in high school I was abstinent. There were times in, in college that I wasn't binging. You know, when I make decisions about my life, when I am in my disease, once again, in my disease abstinent or in my disease in the food, every decision I make is based around food. Alcohol was my master. If I'm in the food, the way I drive to work is to get to my binge, favorite binge places. If I am white knuckle abstinent only, I'm avoiding those places. The parties I attend, I'm either going there because they have the food or I'm avoiding them because I'm afraid of the food. How I define my holidays is all about the food. I call Thanksgiving Turkey Day. I identify holidays by what food my family would serve, not according to what relatives would be there. 
I think of my Virginia cousins because of Pop-Tarts. I think of my Aunt Teresa in Pennsylvania because of rice pudding. I was abstinent during some of those times. And for me personally, the pain of abstinence was much worse than the pain of being in the food because the food numbed me. And life was so painful, I needed to be numb. And that's why I ate, because the pain of abstinence was worse than the pain of being in the food. So I had to recognize that alcohol was my master. It's not about being drunk. It's not about binging my brains off, which is painful. But the fact is, in the food or abstinence, the decisions I made around my life were based on getting food, avoiding food, and defining my life by the food. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Sally. This is Bella. Can I share? Yeah. Monica. Vasa. Oh, Vasa. Oh. Okay. Okay. Did you All right. Julie? I have Sally A, Bella, Leia M, Monica T, and Vasa O. So let's Lisa start with Lisa P. Lisa P. Okay, Sally A, go ahead. Can't hear you, Sally. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. (laughs) Sorry for the confusion. Good morning, everyone. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. So when I see these words, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair. I am reminded of what what it looked like the day before Thanksgiving last year. And mind you, I've been in here for a long time, right? And I've been recovered for a long time. But I knew the day before Thanksgiving last year that I was going to New York to be with a really tough crowd, my kids, who um, I knew were not going to be easy. And loneliness and despair, the only reason why I was lonely and, and despair is because I knew that when I go to New York, my kids don't want me on the phone the whole time I'm there. But interestingly, it's when I am in New York, more than any other time, I need my friends. I need to not isolate and try to do this thing alone. Yes, I bring my higher power. Yes, I'm recovered. But I knew in my heart the day before Thanksgiving, as I walked around my home packing for the trip, I was praying. I was asking God, what am I going to do? I'm scared. I actually feel like I'm cliff walking. I feel like I'm on the edge of a cliff. And I was on the edge of a cliff because I knew in my heart that I was not in a spiritual place to go and be with my kids in New York. And there was a sense of loneliness and, without a doubt, despair. And the idea that quicksand stretched around me, I knew the food was going to be stretching vastly around me. I'm Italian, for goodness sake. And I had met my match. I knew that. And I knew that this was the toughest place. This is the place where I had all my final binges three and a half years ago. They all took place in New York. And I knew that food could be a troubling thing. Now, was the food neutral? I wasn't even worried about the sugar and the flour. I was worried about all those things that I am sloppy or I was sloppy about. And that's what I want to say to those of you who might feel like you're scared or that you're on the edge of something, that you don't know what to do. And I want to tell you what I did. I decided that before I went to that holiday, a day before Thanksgiving, I made the decision for the first time in years that I was going to weigh and measure 
and plan my food and give it to my sponsor and tell her this is what I'm going to eat tomorrow and I'm going to weigh and measure. And I was not doing that practice for the year before it. I did it for my first year, but not for the second year. But here I was last Thanksgiving making the decision. And what happened was when it came time for the cheese table and I had made a commitment to a certain amount as my afternoon snack, that's when all bets were off. And it was like, uh, it was like there was some kind of a, a, a pack of horses running in my head saying, what about this? What about that? Well, maybe you could do this. Maybe you could do that. Maybe you didn't do the scale right. Maybe you have to do the scale again. Blah, 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 blah. Until I realized, Sally, you have a problem with cheese. You have to let it go. And that's what I did. That was the last time I allowed myself to have hard cheese because I knew that day that was one of the things that I was wrestling with, wrestling like a mud wrestler. And so I want to recommend to any of you who feel like they may be cliff walking, weigh and measure your food. Even if it's just for that day, you will be surprised. Your eyes will be open as to some other things that might be troubling to you as they were to me. Thanks for letting me share with that I passed. Thank you, Sally A. And Bella G. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella C and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Wow, such a paragraph. No words can tell. Yes, and this is exactly what I I felt. And you know, you have to be in in that position to understand that there is no words to explain the loneliness and and the feeling. And I remember when my first sponsor told me, Bella, be aware of the first compulsive bite. And then when I felt like, what? The first compulsive bite? I, that I am a responsible person. I, I am married. I am working on my relationship. I am a mother. I am responsible. I have responsibility to my child, I am a working person, people trust me, and what, I am powerless, that first compulsive bite can bring me to, to, to feel lonely, and bitter, and angry, and upset, and disappointed, that first compulsive bite has the power on me, and that was the, the minute that I, I was ready to say, well, I am powerless. I am powerless. This is the end of the war and the beginning of being a winner to accept that I am powerless. And, and I was, that was the first time that I was able to reach for a, a higher power than myself. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. And Leah M., you're next. Thank you very much, Julie. Um, alcohol was my master. <laughs> you know, Bill's not in a good place right now, and he describes it as quicksand stretched around me in all directions. You know, one thing about quicksand, if you're in it, uh, you have to be rescued from it. And uh, 
you know, this is not pretty. This is not a feel-good step, <laughs> step one, because it beats us, you know, into a pulp, or at least that was my experience, you know, this process, this conclusion of the mind, uh, step one, you know, it emptied out any residual notion that I actually had any power within myself to help or hear, heal myself. You know, Bill is dredging the bottom of the quicksand, essentially, getting sucked down, and, you know, he's going to realize there's nothing there. There's nothing you know, he has he has an absolute inner lack of strength to um, to crawl out of this. There's no depth to which he can't sink. There's no wretchedness that he's not prepared to go to. I mean, he's just uh, in the in the muck. And I was in that place also. I mean, that's one thing about having a master. What it what does that mean when you have a master? It means we're a slave. You know. I always ate to feel better, and I always felt worse. The disease continued to progress. It never got better. It always got worse. I thought I was eating for freedom. I became a slave in this illness. It continued to wrap its talons around my neck. My life was controlled by the desires of this disease. I continued to bow to the demands of it. The illness made decisions for me. I wasn't making decisions for the disease. The illness was making decisions for me. I always had to pay the piper. I was was a slave and Bill is going to continue to get beaten up because he's driven by a compulsion. He cannot stay sober. You know, inevitably he's going to be again possessed by the obsession and driven by the delusion that he's going to be able to stop this thing. And he's not because he is powerless. He is powerless. And through enough suffering and through enough pain and through enough degradation that breaks him down, his mind is going to be cracked open eventually to some new ideas. This isn't about the raising of the dead. This is about uh, coming, you know, rising up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that's exactly what will eventually happen for him, and that's what happened for me. I was rescued from it through the engagement of this process and having had a spiritual awakening and being restored to sanity and having soundness of mind and being relieved of the obsession, I was pulled out of the quicksand by a power greater than myself. But first, I had to be beaten into a state of reasonableness. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. Monica T., you're next. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone. This is Monica T. in Florida. Ditto, ditto, ditto to everything Leah said. Took a lot of words right out of my mouth. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, here we are in Bill's story, and he's telling us his story here. And what are we seeing like has been said here? These couple of paragraphs, one before and this one, I'm seeing a lot of hopelessness and powerlessness. And what a picture he paints here. I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. I found in that harsh swamp of self-pity, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. And I was thinking about that bitter swamp of self-pity. You know, I would cry, lie, and look you in the eye when I was in my disease. Poor Monica. Poor, poor Monica. I can't stop eating. Na, 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 na. I had, you know, all the stories. And poor me. Quicksand. 
And, you know, so I walked through that swamp of self-pity. And then what did I do? I found myself in quickstand. I was hopeless. I was powerless. It was dark. It was icky. I was thinking. And like was said, quicksand, any movement on my own only got me deeper into it. Monica's way did not work. How'd that work for you, Monica? It didn't. You know, I who thought so much of myself, I who had been so successful at so many things, I had met my match here. Food was my master. Food had the control over me. And the more I tried to do anything, the worse it got. And I was sinking fast. And I was scared to death. Nothing was working. And that's what's happening with Bill here. He's starting to surrender. Nothing is working anymore. Not the fear, not the will, not the determination, not the self-knowledge. He had to be rescued. Just like I had to be rescued. I had to be rescued. And how did that happen? It was by, by, by hearing, seeing recovered people. That they had something. And I wanted it. And they said, okay, if you want what I got, do what I did. It's called working the steps, Monica. Get yourself a sponsor and work the steps. Identify your binge foods and put them down. And thank you, God. Thank you, God, for OA. And I pass. Thank you, Monica T. And Vasa O. Okay. Yes, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Sally, for your service. And I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, calling from uh, from Florida, and uh, I, everybody said what I, it, it, it's me, it's this little paragraph, it's all about me, and I, I lived in the loneliness, despair, self-pity, food was my master, I remember feeling so, like self-pity, poor me, Vasa has it so bad, you know, everybody has it so much better than I did, you know, they have a control of their food, their bodies, they can, you know, they look good, and why I cannot do it. And I, I, yes, I tried to control it for many, many, many years, and I gave in. I couldn't control it anymore. I gave in to the food addiction. It was just going to kill me. I surrendered before I came to the program because there was nothing else I could do anymore. You know, I tried it all. And thank you, God. That, you know, I did pray before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. Not even, you know, I was so desperate. And I remember, you know, I did not pray that often, believe me. Every once in a while in emergencies. But I prayed to God. I said, God, if you're out there, please help me. Show me where you are, you know. And not too long after that, I was brought to Overeaters Anonymous. And thank you, God, I've been saved from this deadly disease. And I was only 41 years old when I came. I didn't think I could see my my 45th birthday. My, my my 45th birthday, I was just dying gradually, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So I'm so grateful that I found the big book and the 12 steps. And number one, it's God brought me there. So I'll never be grateful. There's no graduation. I've been here for years, and I continue to be here because I know people have graduated and never came back. And they're suffering. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And Lisa P. Yeah, hi, this is Lisa P. calling from Colorado. Um, today is my eighth 
year anniversary of being abstinent and this horrendous, horrendous disease. And I really like what said that um, he was found in the bitter morass of self-pity. He was getting to the turning point where he didn't think he would, you know, he didn't know what he was going to do. And that's where I was before I got into this program. And I remember it was right before Thanksgiving when I started weighing and measuring my food and trying to claw my way out of this disease with a sponsor. And it was really, really hard, that first 30 days of sobriety in this fellowship. It was very hard. I never want to go back to where Bill is right here. And the self-pity, it's like that whole thing, pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. If I kept, and I kept journals back in the time before I was abstinent, and I was in so much physical pain. When I was overeating, I couldn't sleep. I was paying a heavy price. My body was paying a heavy price. And um, even though it was very hard, that first 30 days of abstinence for anybody that's out there, you know, it's it, it's worth it to get abstinent and to stay sober. And so every year when November 25th comes around, right before Thanksgiving, I'm reminded, you know, anybody can get abstinent at any time of the year. And um, Thanksgiving is a joyful time for me because I have, I have abstinence. Um, Thanksgivings, and I don't have to be in all that turkey and all that stuff, stuffing and cranberry sauce and pie, pie, pie everywhere, pie and whipped cream everywhere. I mean, I, I could just wear it on my head. I could wear a pumpkin pie on top of my head, and that could be the crowning glory of all my disease. I don't do that anymore. I have a very simple meal, and 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 I can be joyful to God that you know this is what He's done for me. I He's my new master, you know alcohol, food, that's not my master anymore. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa P. And this is Julie R. I'm going to jump in one second. Um, No words can tell of the loneliness and despair, uh, the bitter morass of self-pity. You know, the quicksand is such a good visual because that's exactly how I felt that I was just getting deeper and deeper and deeper and I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself up, but I couldn't even let somebody else pull me out. You know, the master, what is that? I mean, it's like something, right? That food, that obsession controlled me, everything. I mean, my waking hours were, as soon as I woke up, was, oh, my God, did I do that again? All the wrappers, the stains from the chocolate, the crumbs. I mean, it was just so horrific and I would do the vowing to swear off and by 10 a.m. I was already in the food again and if I was able to get a few days of quote-unquote abstinence it wasn't um, a very good experience I was not free and and this paragraph says quicksand stretched around me in all directions not just the food and somebody is unmuted not just with the food, but in all areas of my life. I wanted to control everybody and everything. I wanted to be the director. I wanted to let you know when you made a mistake. I wanted to be first. Don't you know who I am? All of that. I mean, my whole entire life was just filled with fear, which I compensated and turned around into anger. And I look back just, you know, 14 months ago, and I was in that quicksand, and I never thought I was going to get pulled out to freedom. And for today, for today, I get to 
you know, walk a free woman. I I mean, I am starting baking because I'm having um, a group of people over here tomorrow. And it's just not my food. The obsession is gone. Food is neutral. I am serving food that I used to eat in the closet. But it doesn't matter. They're not, they don't have power over me. God has power. So anyway, with that, I will pass. And we can open it up for probably one more share. Charles H. from New York. Charles, go ahead. And just for the record, that wasn't me that was unmuted. Anyway, Charles H. from New York. Um, I just I got one thing to say about this paragraph. Food and sugar, that's straight trouble. KJ, Chapter 1, that's Bill W. All around the binge food, deep in a quicksand. Who was in trouble? Charles H. This man, sugar was my ruler. Sugar was my master. High sugar, blood pressure, yo, a big disaster. Page 13 was love and romance. When God took the problem, root and branch. I'm going to leave some time on the clock for somebody else. I pass. Thank you, Charles H. And who else would like to share? We have time for one more. Star one to unmute. Devorah S. Devorah S. Go ahead, Devorah. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Julia. This is Devorah S. from New Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I, too, can, can share on the loneliness and despair that I found myself in when I was constantly eating and binging and not being able to stop. And I could have had a house full of people, but I felt so lonely. Nobody understood what... You know, so many people wanted to help me, but I couldn't be helped because I was so in myself and so in the self-pity and so in that, um, you know, I could do this thing by myself. So, I, you know, it's, it's a horrible place to be. And if anyone would have told me that I didn't have to, you know, do this anymore, I, I don't know if I would have even been accepted because I was just so in the muck. I had to reach my own level of despair and 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 just desperation and it came eventually it did come um and so grateful that I don't have to live like that anymore today um you know all these days these holidays and we have them they come they go but it's a different kind of holiday um for me it's not about the food and yes i have to say you know, they. You know, I do have to cook. I do have to bake because not everybody eats like a lot I eat. But that's okay. I'm so grateful. The difference today is that I'm so happy to be able to be serviceable to people. That when I take it out of the oven, it's for them. I don't have to taste everything. You know, I used to be that I used to make it and eat it, and it was gone, and I have to make another one. And it's not like that. My my work is not tripled anymore. Um, and, you know, and there's leftovers today, um, that I can have people take home with them, you know, and, you know, any leftovers that was ever there was just for me, by myself, and everybody say, well, where is it? And I say, oh, it's, everybody's gone, it's done. You know, what a freedom that is today to experience, and, um, you know, so grateful, and like someone said, you know, it's, it's, we just, we just keep doing it, another day, you know, God gives us another day, we're all on I always say, you know, we're all on day one. This is day one. We keep doing the same thing over and over again and seeking God's will. And I know for me, you know, 
you know, eating is not seeking God's will for me. You know, but being out there and being of service to other people and re, and abstaining, that is what God wants for me today. So I can be of ultimate service to him and to my fellows. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Lynn S., would you please do that for us? Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.